0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Welcome to the Cats Talk Wednesday, Benny Hardy and Terry TV 3.0 Brown, here to bring you another fun show, if you want to get in, call 845-277-9373, at Cat Talk Wednesday on Facebook and Twitter, TV Man, that time again, time to have another good show, and you know, summer's rolling on,
2: school's in
1: for everybody, and you know, here we are, man. I always got stuff to talk about. This is the Olympic summer, but this time next year, with no Olympics, we'll still somehow have plenty to talk about, like we have every summer that we've been doing this show.
3: Yeah, I'm, I'm sure we'll find something to uh, something to discuss.
2: <laughs>
3: but right, yeah. school is in full swing, and and fall sports are ready to kick off. So there's an awful lot to cover. And
1: we might as well dive right into the case of so first the, the foundation of the show And then we branch off and disagree on everything else But we keep the foundation of the show the way it is so On the basketball side, we had Alex Porters being deserving of some congratulations As uh signs with the Pacers, and we'll be starting off in the B League. Um, everybody kind of was holding their breath and wondering if, if that would be the case, even as the summer league was going on. And now summer league's been over for a while, and you didn't know, and now we kind of know.
2: So, congrats to AP. I
3: think he's one of those guys that uh, you just you, you want to do well. Obviously, he probably wasn't as consistent. In college, we thought, but he's got a shot, and, and really, that's all it takes is is just getting that that shot. So, uh, definitely wish him uh, all the luck in the world. Uh, starting off in the D League is not uh, uh, not a bad place to go. So, uh, definitely excited about what he's going to be able to do come the spring or come the fall. Hey. I'm I'm all over the place.
1: <laughs> and they said that his deal was not the average D League deal where you get thirty-five or forty grand. It was more of an NBA cut contract, six figures, even though he's starting off in the D League. So, even from a financial standpoint, uh, he was kind of ahead of the game, even though he's going to be starting off in the D League and kind of working his way up. Uh, from there,
3: playing
2: you know,
3: with Fort Wayne, with the place of the D league. And, and, you know, just just some consistency, I think, will get him where he wants to go. Uh, I think we can all agree that even from his freshman year, he's got the physique uh, to compete uh, in the NBA. It's it's that desire. That's, that's going to be what uh, he's going to have to show to, to really make an impact, but... You're right, the way the contract is structured, uh, they they the pacers believe in him and that's really uh that's really exciting, that's really important.
1: Definitely, definitely. So
3: he's
1: got a peace of mind from that standpoint and doesn't have to worry as far as that goes. Now he can focus like you said, on you know, finer points, consistency, fine tuned areas of his game to go with that athleticism. Getting, I don't know, mean, not dirty, just, just having a little more of an edge
2: to himself, a little
1: more aggressive maybe. Um, we hear, you know, we talked last week about the new guys on campus, uh, the freshmen coming in, and you hear about Bam out of bio, his experience, how explosive he is, how big man, how athletic he is. There's even been comparisons to the word Words that have been thrown around, Sean Kemp has been thrown around. When you flash back to Alex Preston, you like you said, consistency, but that Duke game, and of course, that's what got everybody hyped because that was the first time on a big stage. We're like, oh my god, what? the mean, what he to. He was a man alone who wins that game. I was thinking Sean
4: Kemp is that
1: game against Duke when he kept getting monster putbacks on guys' heads and was making it look easy. I mean, I, I had those kind of thoughts cross my mind from that Duke game. So, I mean, Bale might be another Kilt-like guy, but AP was putting that thought out of my mind four years ago.
3: Yeah. Uh, I think that was a game it was, and, and here is when you look at Poitras' time, I can almost understand some of his issues prior to this past season, because uh, let's just say that the 2013 team was just disastrous in roster construction. It was just just a bad team. 2014, uh, you know being the team player moving to the to, to the bench to really spark some things and, and let's not forget. Uh, that 2014 run, uh, you know, everybody remembers Aaron Harrison's shots and Julius Randall, but, but Alex Poitier's played really, really well, particularly against uh, Wisconsin uh, in the final four that year. And I, I think really think he was the missing piece in 2015 uh, with him being injured. So he had the injury uh, year this past year. I would have thought he would have, have shown a, a little bit, but but he really sacrificed a lot. So I don't want that to be uh, overlooked. Um, but, again, wish him the absolute best. Um, just a nice guy all the way around, one of those uh, guys that really exemplified what a student athlete should be. So uh, definitely want the best for him.
1: Yeah, for sure. And he was pivotal when you go from – 2014 to 2015, you know, 2014, he was dunking all over Sam Decker, now a member of my Houston Rockets. 2015, Sam Decker went on a, a couple of spurts that proved to be difference makers. You know, he, he was back Evan Booker down, you know, old-fashioned three-point plays, and...
4: Yeah, you know, it would have been a little tougher for him to do that
1: if Pointus and gardening, had been bodying him up, putting a little forearm in his back and giving him a little more bluster that Book didn't have as So yeah, he was he was missed. Uh as dominant as that team was, there was still uh niche spots and areas that he could have provided just what was needed and uh so definitely congrats to him going forward and we remember what he did at UK and hope it worked out at Fort Wayne and on up to Indianapolis and wherever his career takes
3: the rest of the way. Definitely, definitely. So uh, wishing him the best.
1: Um. And, of course, we got some of the
3: football stuff. We got
1: you know, the season coming quicker and quicker. Uh, at 6.30, we had Ian Smith, the Lieutenant Harold Leader
2: come and talk a little bit about uh, UK football with us, get us up to speed on the latest going on uh, in
1: and around UK football. The big news that got everybody buzzing was uh, Shannon Dawson's comments. Uh, Is it a shot? Is it not? Was we'll he throwing Patrick Toll under the bus? He had a little video. A conference interview, kind of meet the coaches down at Southern Miss. Um, and it comes out where he said that when he has a good quarterback, he's a good coach. When he doesn't, isn't, he was being asked about Southern Miss' quarterback. Nick Mullins, I think, is saying the guy that he's going to inherit. And of course, when Freddie was on with us, that might be the best. Quarterback can take places all season long, and you know he says I'm a good coach. I want to have a good quarterback? He's been carrying a good quarterback. Is he referencing that, or is he referencing the last quarterback that he just had? So you know, either way, it's, it's you know got everybody buzzing. Patrick told tweeted out the little confused emoji. Took that down. Pooge out later that, you know, I love that guy. He loves me. Sometimes works for Twisted. But, you know, that's – you wondered how it was going to be with him moving to center Miss. Of course, them playing first game. You know, everybody, everybody going to let the pass be the pass or somebody going to up and let something flip. that a little trash-talking going So, let's see what comes of it. No doubt they both want to beat each other very badly because it didn't work out between two parties last year. Bennett Dawson wants to win. The SEC definitely doesn't want to lose to him. So it's going to be real interesting from here on out.
3: Yeah. The, the comment, I, I think you can make it at the, at the pro level. And uh, I, I don't think you can really make that comment at the collegiate level or below. uh because again, these these are student athletes; these are kids, and for I'll be the first to say, Patrick told there w- there was some limits to what he could do. But if you're a coach, you have to find out exactly what your your players are good at. Of that understand exactly. their limitations and minimize that. You know that's that's like okay if you put Tom Brady uh, in an option offense, what's that going to do? It, it, it's, it's not going to work. So that's, that's a coach. I have seen coaches take, and, and, and you've seen it as well, You you've got players, whatever the sport, that they're very limited on what they can do, and some people might say they're not very good, but coaches put them in a position to win. And that is what a coach is supposed to do, uh, and to say that. Well, I'm, you know, everybody knows coaches are only really as good as their players. But you've got to do what you can to help your players win, and we see that so often, particularly in the professional leagues, where a guy is an all-star in one system and disappears when he goes somewhere else. Uh, one of the examples that comes to, to mind for me. Is is a guy that was MVP for your Cowboys, Larry Brown, who who looked like Deion Sanders in Super Bowl Thirty with three interceptions, signs that lucrative deal, and okay, you know what, you know what happened, you know his coaches put him in a position to be successful, and if you go to a different situation, it may not translate. Uh, before a coach, you know. Speaking from personal experience, when, when things end between two parties, there's a way to let them end and move on. There's Sometimes it's, it's obvious it didn't work out, and we've talked to Freddie Baggett, we've talked to other people, that even if Kentucky's record had been better last year, that most likely Shannon Dawson would have been out. So there's no real love lost in that relationship. It's obvious. Everybody knows it. There's really no reason to to kind of bring that up, to to even make a vague reference to it. That's what what really puzzles me uh, to to throw that out. There's a way you can praise the new guy without kicking the old guy on the way out. And I think uh, Coach Dawson handled that a little poorly. Yeah, yeah.
1: And and either way. No matter what, what he's referenced, it still comes off that way. <clears throat> Even looking at the context, you know, try to get a benefit of the doubt. Look at the context. What was he asked? How was he? Just looking at the quote. But looking at the broader picture, it still comes off as a, as a bad look. Uh, and so, you know, now that, that's out there. And, in, in It's out there. If if neither side had said anything, like you just said, you know it doesn't work and both parties have moved on, he would have been thinking that no matter how he meant it, no matter how he said it, no matter what kind of tone he said it with, And Coach Stoops and his staff would have felt the same way that they felt, which, which, which is why they parted ways very shortly after that Louisville game in another five-and-seven seasons. And if it is as dicey and as awkward as, you know, we've kind of been hearing and reading and, and you know, heard on you know, different radio shows and things of that nature, both sides were probably just wanting to get through the season so they could part ways anyway, and which is what happened. They were just grinning and bearing it as best they could and just trying to make it. <laughs> and and the record showed that And the play showed that After another hot start The second half of the season Showed that as well Yeah
3: And, and so there's no reason Like, you know, that's going to be the, the angle of the game Of, of Kentucky Southern Miss That's going to be the angle of, of Shannon Dawson Now we've got these comments that will be uh, Written about and talked about Leading up to the game Uh we all know what it is when when a coach goes back to their former team, and 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 we all know that hoopla. I, I just don't think it was probably in anyone's best interest for for Dawson to kind of lay it out the way he did. Uh, that's that's my opinion. Uh, obviously, neither Patrick Tolles nor uh, Dawson are, are, are Wildcats, and I'm pretty sure that's going to be. Uh, Coach Stoops' mindset is neither one of those guys are wearing blue and white, so this week we can only worry about, you know, the guys that are here, which I understand right. Uh, right. Uh, where he's coming from, you know. But I, I thought in in my mind and, and those folks that follow me on Twitter, I thought that Patrick Toles, uh, and it's like that for most quarterbacks, but I thought he kind of got a little bit more of the blame than he probably should have. And you know that's just the nature of quarterback, and they get the blame, they get the uh, praise. That's kind of what comes along with it. Um, yeah, because I've seen quarterbacks uh, at at Kentucky that have been limited on what they can do, still be successful. Uh, we we've we've seen that. Um, oh, I'm I'm. Blanking on the quarterback right after Andre Woodson. Oh, I'm. Dr- oh, Mike, Hart- Mike Hartline. Hartline. Hartline was what two, three, and zero against Louisville. And I don't think if you looked at him, you'd say, "Okay, wow." Yeah. You know, so you can be successful without being these be stud athletes. And I and I think that, uh, you know, people just need to understand that those players are doing the best they could. Now, this is not to give anybody a pass. This this is a make-or-break season for a lot of people on this program. Um, so we'll see how that goes.
2: Absolutely.
3: And
1: I want to shift gears real quick in just a second, but you mentioned Mike Hartline. He balled out, you know, for a couple of years. The year he got hurt, he was killing it. Uh, down there at South Carolina, uh, he hurt a knee. And that's because he was one of those what might have been seasons, I think, because he was he was playing that well. And then, you know, the first time Kentucky ever beat South Carolina. You know, Steve Spurs undefeated against Kentucky no matter where he's been coaching. In Florida, at South Carolina, he had not lost. He brings in a highly ranked South Carolina team, Mark Lattimore and all those guys. And Mike Hartline is a star quarterback that beat South Carolina. Uh, Hardline and Cobb just played out of their minds. Uh, it helped that Marcus Lattimore got hurt. But, hey, at the end of the 60 minutes, Kentucky had more points than South Carolina. Uh, and so that was that was their first, their last win over a ranked team until they beat Mississippi State last year. Uh, Missouri. Joker, Joker. Yeah, yeah, Missouri, that's right. Joker Phillips and Mike Hartline was the coach and QB combo that were the first to knock off Steve Springer in UK history. So, yeah, he and, does and, get a little
3: bit overlooked. And, and let me say that because uh, every now and then, uh, I, I think sports fans in general and Kentucky fans, since I'm kind of knee deep in them, have a tough time letting things go. When things start to go bad, Kentucky football fans. They they look at these old coaches and won't let stuff go. As soon as Kentucky has some rough patches, it's all well Joker Phillips and da 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 da. This is just like the Joker days. And my thing is, I understand you can, and this goes back to uh, what Coach Dawson said. I understand it didn't work out long term for Joker, so. he did some good things. Yes, at the end, I think it was a got-to-go situation. I'm not disputing yeah. that. But you can't just wash away. He's still the only coach that has beaten Tennessee in 30 years. Yeah. So, and so whenever you talk wrong. about yeah, – Yeah, and whenever you say joker this, joker that, put that on there. He He, he beat Tennessee – with a wide receiver at quarterback. He beat Steve Spurrier for the first time in millennia, you know, beat Georgia at Georgia. So it, no. it's one of those things. No, nobody's ever as bad or as good as we make them out to be. If you're going to put this dirt on Joker, you got to say some of the good stuff too, whether he's a good coach or, or not. I know I was excited when we finally beat Tennessee. How about yourself? Were oh. you excited
1: about that game? Look, I, mean, to but, me, that was a yeah, big, Yeah, I, I'm, I'm celebrating that. I, I, I mean, I I'm, I'm throwing the field. I was out there on... I was throwing the field. So, I, mean, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, you know, been waiting my whole life for it. And it, as intense as the Kentucky Louisville rivalry is, I have family that... Live in Louisville, have family, have Louisville fans, have family in Louisville that are Kentucky fans like yourself. Who kind of, you know, have to have to be puffed up and bracing for whatever the Cardinals fans have to say. And that's in state, but out of state, same thing for me down here in Tennessee. You know, dealing with these Vols fans, same thing for you know Kentucky fans in every other state, especially in the SEC. You know, South Carolina, wherever it is. The same thing that Kentucky fans in Louisville deal with, you know, people who live in Tennessee like myself deal with. And so I had never seen Kentucky Beach, Tennessee, I mean, where I was old enough to remember it. I mean, in 84, I was seven and I don't remember. So
2: you, you hear this year
1: in, year out the street, the street, the street, the street, the street. I already knew what it was like to beat Louisville in football. You know, when the rivalry was renewed, Kentucky owned the rivalry early on. Uh, even when Crackville was there, Kentucky was still handed to Louisville. But we hadn't, you and I hadn't seen a win over Tennessee. So uh, Vanderbilt beat Tennessee in 2005, and we're still waiting as Kentucky fans. Vanderbilt went into Knoxville and warm with Jay Cutler and, Earl bit it, and we're like, man, we still can't beat him. We had to wait six more years, and Vanderbilt in their Street. So, yeah, I was excited. You know, that was a long way of saying I was excited. I was in the field, and my dad, my sister, and I went. We, we, we bowed to go to every second Tennessee game and not for a little until we either beat him or until my dad said, until I'm too old to go, one or the other. And so we were there, we saw in the field and doing drinks, and hopefully, we won't have to wait. That long again.
3: Yeah, and like I said, you can't just look back at, at, at the bad without remembering the good again.
1: Yeah, yeah.
3: got to go situation, but man, there were some there were some bright spots there uh, up until that yep. last season where it was totally off the rails. Uh I understand but, but but there were some spots where I was I was on in.
1: Yeah, exactly.
3: We got uh got ten
1: fifth on about five minutes. The one big thing too that Coach Cal's been tweeting about is the celebrity softball game that's going on uh the twenty ninth of August I think. Kind of the end of August on Coach dot com. Uh, they put that, I'm sorry, August 28th, 6 p.m., Whitaker Bank Ballpark. Rump is under construction, so the you know fantasy camp and the alumni game, that kind of stuff, won't be able to go as it normally does each year. So they're going to Whitaker Bank Park Ballpark to have a Celebrity Softball Classic, and they got quite a list of
3: people, man. Did you see the list of celebs that's going to be there, TV? I saw I saw some of them, and... Uh... Yeah, it's going to be a who's who of uh, of some celebs. So I'm pretty excited about that. I might have to make my way down there. Yeah, that'd be, let me, I got it
1: pulled up right here. Um, you know, of course, Cal's going to be there. call Towns, Nerland's is going to be there. Um, Rex, Chris Carter, Icky Woods. um, Josh Hopkins, the actor. Austin Kearns, former Cincinnati Reds.
2: Uh,
1: Matt Jones and Ryan Lemon from KSR are going to be there. Um, uh, Randolph Morris. Um, Dale Brown, former Cat Dale Brown, remember from the early 90s. Uh, Kaylee Hartung. Good. Alex Portrish. um Icky Wood. <laughs> um let's see, let's see. I got it pulled out now finally. It was um Keith Bogan, who's my dude on the two thousand squads. Um Rex I mentioned, Keenan Burton, uh, Jalen Renson, Nicky Mingioni, the new baseball coach, um Molly Johnson is the softball coach, He's on, uh, Tim Couch, Cal Macy. Uh, I think that's all of them Chris Carter being the big-time non-K celebrity, non uk athlete. I mean, it's a minute, you said star-studded event, and,
3: and, and that's one of those things. Cal keeps the UK in the news. That's that's fantastic.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah. So he was
1: tweeting about that. It is less than two weeks away. A you know, week and a half going to be going on at Whitaker Bank Ballpark, which is always fun uh, for Legends games, and that's going to be fun for the Celebrity Softball game. All those games are always fun when you're watching uh, the Home Run Derby and and all that for MLB All-Star Monday night. The Celebrity game is always fun, and now that is coming to Lexington on the 28th of August. We will take a quick little break, catch up with. We got Stan Smith scheduled to come and talk a little UK football with us, talk a little Shannon Dawson noise as well as everything she's seeing and writing about concerning UK football. Listen to the Cat Talk Wednesday, Vinnie Hardy and Teddy Brown, Brandon Hardy Radio Network, blogtalkradio.com. Be back in a couple minutes. And Terry Brown talking UK football. Actually, we just talked a little bit about celebrity softball game that's going down at Legends Park. But have an expert on UK football who is drowning in UK football, (laughs) Ben Smith from the Listen Her Leader. Are you all with us right now? I am. I usually butcher this and end up hanging up on everybody, and Terry usually calls, so I'm, like, proud of myself that I didn't lose you and have us in some kind of cell phone purgatory. But <laughs> I'm but, glad it
4: worked out. <laughs> Thank you for
1: joining us. And, I mean, I'm sorry that it's already, like, drowning you in football, and the season hasn't even started in <laughs> Avalanche
4: football. Before opening day, that is unreal. It's like that every pre-kickoff. It is, it is like that every year. It's funny because everybody thinks that football season starts on September 3rd, but it's the, it's the whole month of August that just makes me miserable. The, the football season itself is wonderful, and there's a rhythm to it, and it's great. And ball camp is just like everyday grind. And then you add stuff for me, like a, a football special section, and Daily stories and all the position series and it just it gets overwhelming sometimes. So, yeah, I'm right in the middle of the muck, but you know it's it's wow. fun. I, I'm ready for I'm ready for the season to start. Let's put it that way. I
1: oh, hear you. I'm on since it's, since it's just the an avalanche and all of that. Let me just throw you a curveball real quick and, and divert your thoughts away from UK football for just a second and flash back to the last time you're on with us. You talked about the diversity of alma maters within your family because it was yourself in the UK at <laughs> IU alone when we Andrew. go back when we go back to the Olympics and Lily came doing what she did but yet she's a Hoosier was the IU family you know sticking out their chest and, and talking a lot of trash after she won gold medal did you have to hear a lot of that no I haven't
4: yet but I specifically not called my dad during the olympics because he uh he swam at in indiana he swam with mark spitz at indiana oh, so my dad whoa, whoa, whoa. like my dad is obsessive about swimming at the olympics and like so i just don't call him during the week-long span or the, the 10-day span when swimming is on so i'm sure we'll talk this weekend but um no he hasn't had any time to to sort of throw that throw anything back at me yet and in general, I think everybody sort of cheers for the Olympic people despite where they go to college. So I, I think that, you know, most people would agree that Lily King was amazing. So.
1: She was. She was. But I, I kind of thought about you. when I mean, I remember just the whole conglomeration of everybody, Duke, UK. <laughs> I mean, all the rivalry schools were there together. And I'm like, wow, that's going to be fun at some point, and <laughs> what she did in the summer. With you being from Louisville, and, of course, you know, going to the U.K. and working in Lexington now, what was your perception of the U.K. when rivalry before you got to the U.K.? Because Terry is from Louisville and he's the same thing.
4: You know, it's interesting because one of my first favorite teams growing up, one of my first favorite teams was the, the Never Nervous Purvis teams. Like, those oh. were the ones that I, I sort of grew up. I had a Purvis Ellison poster on my wall. Ooh. Um you know, I I, I really enjoyed. What, they were sort of the the first team that I I got super interested in, and so you know it's funny because my mom is a Louisville graduate, but also just grew up a huge U of L fan, and you know I, there are relatives on both sides of her family that are UK fans, and I used to bet my um my great uncle Denny a quarter on every UK U of L basketball game, but I would always pick Louisville. So I think I initially sort of grew up a U of L fan, and then. You know, slowly got to college and, and cheered for UK, and then got my current job, and now I don't cheer for anyone. So it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting, it's an interesting mix for me. <laughs> I can see the history in Louisville and Denny Crum and all of the, you know, sort of cool stuff they did in the '80s, and then I got to come to UK and be around for all the cool stuff that they did in the '90s. So it was sort of, you know, a, a fun, a fun way to live, I suppose.
1: You yeah, had the best of both worlds in yeah. your
4: <laughs> But the rivalry, I mean, you you asked kind of my perception of the rivalry, and it was always that you know family members would stop speaking during part of the year because of the way that you know the rivalry went. I mean, Christmas was always funny at our house, and I it, you know I always perceived the UKU of L rivalry as like the most nasty thing in the world, and it's sort of fun now to have the the job I have and be able to see it from sort of an outsider perspective, you know, and and still see it sort of the bickering within my family and in other places.
3: Did you have a a Never Never's Purpose poster, Terry? No, but uh, growing up here in Louisville, I I was the first person, you know, to to kind of break the seal and head to Lexington for school. One of my fondest memories growing up, no joke, is my parents letting me stay up late on a school night to watch Milt Wagner uh, hit the free throws at the end of the 86 championship game. That's one of my yes,
0: I, that, greatest too. <laughs> and,
3: and most vivid sports memories. Uh, so I I just feel, uh, you know, I grew up a Louisville fan, and, uh, you know, my room was, was red and white growing up. And, you know, up until high school with the Rosier teams, I was a Louisville guy until UK came calling, and then, you know, the rest is history. But, oh, yeah, I had Louisville everything. Um one of my still one of my most prized possessions. I've got a signed basketball card from Lancaster Gordon and and old Louisville people kind of you know it's got best wishes Terry on that still means more to me than anything. almost any of my other memorabilia. So yeah, I, I I was Louisville out. You know my mom laughs at me now uh, with what I'm doing with our show and all this kind of stuff. But uh, yeah, I was I was I was cards I was cards out.
4: You know, what's really funny is I had this Purvis Ellison poster on my wall, and my dad, like I said, went to Indiana. And I went up there for a bunch of, like, journalism camps when I was a younger kid, like in in middle school and high school, because I've always sort of known this is what I wanted to do. So when I was at IU for the summer, one of the summers, I got a giant flag with the IU logo on it, and that also hung in my room. But my room was painted blue, so I, maybe I was sort of built for this from the beginning and just didn't know it.
1: <laughs> yeah, just little little facets to everybody all along the way, you know.
4: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> well, you wrote a piece yesterday, so I'm, I'm kind of reluctantly taking you back to UK football. I almost apologize. <laughs> it's <laughs>
4: fine. No, no, no. I, I didn't. I didn't tell you that to get you off course. I, I'm happy to talk UK football anytime, but. You know, it's just that time of year where I'm sort of like, oh, no, not again. You wrote a
1: piece about, of course, you going to the SEC media days and all that, you know, all the coaches and everybody knows, just talking to you and some coaches like to do in the first year, you know, temporary expectations. This year he's, you know, come across, and and given the appearance that he's more confident, you wrote a piece about that, kind of tell us why, what he's basing it on and and what you kind of – the vibe you get from him and the the program.
4: You know, it's sort of interesting because the last – I sort of have always just sort of believed that Stoops was one of those guys who didn't sort of – who didn't make predictions and and offer up numbers or say that they have to go to a bowl game or bust. Like, he was not – I just assumed that he was one of those coaches that was just going to play it safe for his entire career. Because the first three seasons that he did this, that's what he did. But it was so interesting to me to see him come to media day and just come out swinging. I mean, he, he basically said, this is the year that we have to step up and, and, you know, this is the year that things have to change. We're tired of being close. You know, we're tired of the, the broad strokes. We're working on the finer details. And without saying it, he all but said, you know, this is the year that we're going to step up and get into a bowl game. I mean, and you, you could see it in, in, in him when he was talking to us, the players, you know, sort of have bought into that. You know, I I think there are a lot of things that sort of play into that. I I didn't mention in the story one of the things that I think has kind of played into that is all of the newness, the the $45 million practice facility, Commonwealth Stadium looking so shiny and pretty. You know, there are all these things, you know, because they have these top-tier facilities now, I think that they sort of feel like they should be a top-tier team. And I, I think there's something to that. If you look good, you feel good. You know what I mean? So I think there's that, but also in the whole look good, feel good thing, you know, all of them talked to a man. Everybody that I asked about it, you know, said it was all of the extra conditioning we did, all the extra work we did. You know, it, it was, you know, we coaches talk about bigger, stronger, faster, but this group seems to have, you know, kind of gone the extra mile with that. And, you know, I, it's kind of a numbers game. You look at this this group, and it, it's filled. This There are only eight scholarship seniors on this team, and the majority of them are redshirt freshmen or sophomores and juniors. And guys that have been in the program for two or three years, they sort of have a higher expectation. They have a different expectation than they did. And I think all of that sort of breeds confidence within the group collectively.
1: You mentioned some of the, you know, the guys that have been in the program. Uh, and uh, increased recruiting, you know, we we hear the depth is better. We hear the depth is better. Uh, and at a lot of positions, it looks like that seems to be the case. Um, is that the case? Is it, I mean, it's not where they want it, but is that the case when you look across the running backs and receivers and some of these positions to where now it's it, you know, the bench is a motivating factor, there's competition at conditions. Is it still on the rise and still increasing the building like they say it does?
4: You know, I, I think that you can sort of you can sort of pick various positions on the field and say, Yes, there is some considerable depth there. I mean, I think that there's considerable depth at wide receiver, I think there is a plethora of depth at running back, you know, I, I think that there's Actually, a lot of depth, depth on the interior line office, and offensive line, so much so that they're pondering moving, you know, guys like George Osofogia back out to, to sort of make up the difference because they, they, they don't feel like they have a lot of depth at tackle. You know, I, I think there's finally some depth at tight end. You know, I, I, think, but I, I think there's some really serious positions where there isn't a lot of depth. One of those is the defensive line. Um, there are a lot of untested, unproven guys. Guys who maybe aren't the size that they need to be yet to be competitive defensive linemen in the SEC. You know, I, I think if somebody like Drew Barker goes out, they could have some trouble. I think if somebody like Matt Elam doesn't play up to his potential or or goes out, I think that they don't have a lot of solutions behind him other than to to maybe change the scheme. You know, I, I think there, are, you know, a couple linebacker positions. I think that they, you know, they probably don't feel like they have enough de- enough depth yet. But I do think that it's some key positions they do have depth. So I, I think it's sort of a, a mixed bag there.
1: And speaking of defensive lines, speaking of stepping up, in, if you had to pick, which lineman or linemen do you see maybe stepping up, uh, trying to fill that void that Reggie departure has created? Uh, who do you see kind of stepping up, maybe even overachieving, and playing better than everyone thought. She kind of kept this defensive line that's looking uh, a little bit weak, a little bit limited, questionable to start the season. Could you pick one or two if you had to that you see maybe were
4: There were two guys that I thought would sort of be career second string guys that I think are going to have to be more than that now that Mint is gone, and that's Adrian Middleton, and Tamir Debose. I think that those guys are going to have to be, to play above their, their pay grade, you know what I mean? Like I think that they're going to have to make some some serious difference. Um, it sounds like, if you listen to the reports and talk to the coaches, that Courtney Miggins has really become something in the offseason, that he's been really, he's become a special player that they think can be, you know, sort of in that line of UK defensive linemen that have gone on to the NFL, you know, so I think that He's going to be really important. I also think a guy like Alvante Bell, who maybe, you know, can't. I think he really struggled last season as a redshirt to sort of get – to figure out what his his place was and where he belonged on the defensive line and kind of what his position is. And I think they're still sort of tinkering with that. So, you know, I I, I think that there are some guys there. But, like I said, I think you're going to need guys like Middleton and DuBose and Bell to really sort of, you know – Put themselves out there and actually become playmakers this season instead of role players.
1: Talk with Jen Smith of Lexington her Leader, Uh, previewing the upcoming UK football season. Uh, Got to ask you about Dorian Baker. uh, A polarizing figure, to say the least, for the fans, with his play, with his physique, with his play. Tell us about him. You wrote about him in the piece. Uh that you talked about as far as more confidence. Tell us what, what wow, I wish I could talk. Tell us what you got <laughs> from <laughs> from Dorian and the fact that he's talking a good game as far as changes he made one of
4: Yeah, I don't know that he's ever lacked confidence, but I think that I think the most telling quote in that story to me was um you know, the one about you know, I've always I've always been a tried to be a grown man on the field, and I was still living this sort of childish off the field life. And a lot of that was just sort of wanting to do things the way Dorian wanted to do things. And you know, I mean, all of us went through something like that in high school and college, where, you know, the teacher would say get there at 9 a.m. and you'd show up at 9:05 and think, eh, no big deal. It's no, you know, it's five minutes. And and I think that. You know, or or you're you know you're in a club or an organization that needs you to to do something specific at a certain time, and or you know to to wear a certain shirt. I think is the one that he threw out there that was sort of interesting to me. That if the team wanted to wear blue, and he decided white was the shirt that day, that's what he was going to go with. You know, and, and those things sort of I think that they kind of erode team unity. I think that they erode team perceptions of you. I think they turn you into a me player instead of a we player. And I think that all of those things were behind the scenes what his M.O. had become, you know, on the team. And and I think that there were a lot of discussions early on about Eddie Grant sort of calling guys to the table when he first got in saying, this isn't how things are going to go under me, that that I'm not one of those coaches that's going to let that stuff go. And I think that a lot of that was sort of directed at Dorian Baker and Boom Williams and maybe to some extent Drew Barker. I mean, those 2014 guys who came in with so much hype and so much promise that off the field they were doing stuff that was still sort of childish and, and silly, and I think they would tell you stupid in a lot of ways. So it'll be interesting to me to see if all three of those guys, who are all so important to this offense being good this year, to see if all three of those guys can sort of get past the immaturity and sort of step up into it to kind of a grown man role off the field and on the field.
3: Now, all that being said, Jim, do you think this has become a, and this word gets, this phrase gets tossed around a lot, a a make or break season for for the players and for the coaching staff? And really for UK football, the investment has been there. The facilities are as good as or better than most uh, facilities, uh, even around the SEC. Is, Is this the year it all needs to come together?
4: Well, I mean, I think from a fan perspective, from a ticket sales perspective, and from like a recruiting going forward perspective, absolutely. I mean, I think it absolutely has to be the year that they take that next step. Um, That being said, you know, I don't think it's make it or break it for Mark Stoops, who's still sitting on a $12.5 million buyout, even if they, you know, win one game this year. You know, I, I think that His staff obviously would have some turnover, I would guess, if they didn't make a bowl or had another disappointing end to a season like they have the last two. You know, but the players, they're here for the duration. I mean, I can't imagine a lot of them would bolt. You know, it's not really make it or break it for them. I think they'd love to get to a bowl game for the first time since 2010. But, you know, I'm I'm not sure make it or break it is really the way to go. But I I do think in sort of fan perception, recruiting moving forward, and, you know, ticket sales that you really have to make – a step forward this year. And, and, and I think the thing that sort of gets lost in all of this is how close they've been in the last two years to being six and six and getting to a bowl game. And we're all having a very different conversation about this team. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I, I look at the, the Vanderbilt game or the Auburn game and, you know, the Florida game even, and, and you think like, this team was dangerously close to being six and six. They were one Boo Williams injury away from perhaps, you know, going to a bowl game. And and I think that that's sort of an interesting like kind of thing that just gets lost in the in the banter in the preseason about why are they always five and seven is well, they've gotten dangerously close and they have most of their their offense back so it'll be sort of fascinating to see if they can get that close again and then maybe finish it this time.
3: And and that's an interesting point, Jen. A lot of folks, it's it's that half full half glass analogy. I mean, the Florida games have been winnable the last two years, which have not always been the case. And there have been games where if you're a negative Nelly, as we call them, uh, where you're like, okay, that's same old Kentucky, but really maybe three or four plays change, and Kentucky goes bowling. And and I think from my perspective, I see that they're they're right there, getting to a bowl six and six, seven to five, it's not a huge stretch to, to swing from one way to the other.
4: No. I mean, and I think that's always been Mark Stoops' point and sort of was his point at Media Day, which is our margin for error is very slim, and they had some serious errors that were partially on him. I mean, there was some sort of disorganization on special teams in a lot of ways. You know, I think about how many times it's at it's the a one-yard line at Vandy they could have punched it in. You know, you think about the trick play at Vandy that was run against them. You think about that last play yeah. call against Auburn. I mean, you can just sort of go down the road and think, you know, coulda, shoulda, woulda. And the and literally, we would be having the same conversation, but it would be about, you know, if they could get to a better bowl this year. You know, I mean, it's so it's sort of fascinating to see how many people are kind of, raging, but I think that the problem is those, those plays that I just mentioned and some of that disorganization that I just mentioned, I think those things really weigh on the fans and make them wonder if he's in over his head, if Stoops is in over his head, or if he's ready to sort of take Kentucky to the next level. I mean, he's won the battles off the field. He's, he's won the facility battle and the recruiting battle and a lot of those things, but he hasn't gotten those six wins. So I think it's sort of – it's just very interesting to me to, to see how, how fine that line is.
3: Yeah, that's the that's the thing uh, that really jumps out at, at me is if you if you kind of break it down, you say, "Oh, they're five and seven again," but there are these boneheaded plays that Kentucky football simply can't make. Uh, I know over the past couple of years, there's been three or four times we come out of a timeout and we get a delay of game penalty, and you're thinking, "How does that even happen?" How how does that kind of disorganization happen, or not having enough people on the field, you know, for a field goal attempt? How do those particular mistakes how do they how do they get how do they get made? Because if you clean those up, that's a seven and five team, and then you focus on improving they, they, other they areas, have. and and maybe you're flirting with eight wins. Uh, I mean, it, it, I don't think it's that big a stretch that some people want to believe that it is.
4: Right, and you know the other thing that really sticks out to me in especially especially in those losses that were so close is the boom Williams factor i mean if he doesn't go down with the elbow injury, if he doesn't go down with the leg injury, or in you know some cases like the eastern game, if he doesn't go with a pouting injury, you know then you could be talking about you know you you're suddenly talking about an offense that looks more than one dimensional you're not relying on patrick pat or patrick uh, Patrick tolls to make. <laughs> to make plays to win games. I don't know why how Patrick Patterson popped in my head. Blah. So anyway, like I think that you know, if Boone Williams is playing in those games, are we are we again having a very different conversation about Kentucky football? Cuz I think he is a true difference maker on this team. I think that without him the offense tends to look very flat, very one-dimensional. And then you know we could get into play calling and all sorts of other different things that happened last year, but I mean I think that if a healthy Boom Williams, you're looking at six wins. It, there's just so many, so many little things like Mark Stoops said that the, the the margin for error is so small, and Kentucky has never given itself any space. And I think that he it, feels better about the space they've been given because of the depth.
3: It, and that's and I understand where the fans are coming from because. Historically, Kentucky football has always had those plays that you think mm-hmm. shouldn't happen. They've always seemed to have gone uh, against Kentucky. I, I saw an article—I can't remember who posted it on Twitter—talking about you know the Guy Morris, the Mir- Bluegrass Miracle, you know, getting the Gatorade bath. I mean, that's a Kentucky play, and and even uh, fast forward all these years later, and we're still kind of making those plays. It's like, are we cursed? Is it the same old Kentucky? And <laughs> my thing, clean up those small things, and this is a, we're, this is a, a totally different discussion.
4: Yeah, I, I think that cat fans tend to, like, err on the side of negativity. I think that there's – you know, they forget about – the plays that beat Alabama in overtime. They forget about the play that knocked off top-ranked LSU. I mean, Kentucky has had its share of positive stuff happen too, but there have been so many more negatives that they seem to overpower the positives. And then it becomes it, – I almost wonder sometimes if it becomes like a self-fulfilling prophecy where they're like, oh, well, it's Kentucky football. It's never going to be any good. And I think that this sort of takes us back to the very beginning of this conversation after we discussed my Louisville heritage. But, like, I, I think it takes you back to this this earlier part of the conversation where they're trying to kind of rebrand Kentucky football as a, a program that can win in those little, you know, in, in those little circumstances where they've lost before. And, and I think that if you can sort of change the mindset, then then maybe that, you you know, we have something to talk about in a few weeks here, you know, that, that they're a team that, that maybe people are underestimating.
3: Vinny, are you there?
4: Yeah, are you there?
3: I I don't know if we lost Vinny or not, Jen, but you and I can keep uh, <laughs> talking. <laughs> Looking at the schedule, back, what 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 game would you say is kind of the the catch to win this game to to really have uh, a successful season?
4: We hate to put it on the opener, but my goodness, that Southern Miss game is huge. I mean, it's, it's, I mean think about it. They're they're playing against a team that just a few short years ago was 0-12. They're playing against a team with returning former offensive coordinator, ousted after one-year offensive coordinator Shannon Dawson. And if they lose that game, the road to six looks incredibly rocky. You know, I think it looks really hard. And also, I think if you lose that game, you lose the fan base, and it's not even basketball season yet. So I think that yeah. that game is just awful. You know, I mean, I think it's a terrible opener, but I think that they've, they've got to find a way to win that game.
3: And, and I, we talked about that last week. And, and even for my money, even if it's a kind of close, lackluster win, the Cats have to come out and they have to make a statement they know that Stoops may not be on the hot seat, the players may not see that, but his seat is starting to get warm. This is a huge season. They've got to come out and perform for uh for a full 60 minutes and not have one of those close, you know, Eastern games like we had last year and and if they lose, yeah, you I I think people start bailing at that point. Um I've got him penciled in going 7 and 5. Then he does the, uh, has the same as well. He's got them beating Mississippi State, and I do not. I'm going out on a limb. I've got them beating Louisville uh, at the end of the season. Uh, No tail of the tape. It's just uh, purely with my heart, purely with my big blue uh, goggles on, I've got them uh, winning that game.
4: I'm I'm firmly on the five-and-a-half win cusp. Like, I don't know how, you know, (laughs) I – I I don't think they can beat Louisville if Lamar if Lamar Jackson stays healthy and is still as effective as he was against Kentucky in the second half last season. Um, but I do think that Kentucky could be in a lot of shootouts this year where the offense has to win the game, and I have a lot more confidence in the offense going forward than I did a year at this time last year. So there's that, but you know I I think that. I've been saying I can see 6-6. and I think that the SEC East is ripe for the picking. I think that there are a lot of teams that are really struggling that have worse personnel than Kentucky at this point. But Mark Stoops has to, like, find a way to kind of step up and win win those big games in the East and actually show that, you know, Kentucky could be a contender.
3: And I don't know where Vinny is, but... uh... (laughs) He is oh, I'm known sorry. For technical I, I'm sorry, guys. Did
4: I scare I, him away?
1: No, I hit the <laughs> I hit the mute button with my fat finger. Hit the mute button with my fat finger. I'm sorry. <laughs> but,
3: uh, but, that's my fault. but that's okay. I mean, we'll, we'll go we'll go with we'll go on without you. I got no problem.
1: <laughs> my fault. Yeah, but y'all y'all been doing good. I've been hearing everything, and
2: uh,
1: <laughs> I was just gonna jump in now that my fingers off the mute button. you are talking about Boone Williams and how pivotal he is and what may have been had he played a full season last year. Have you gotten to see or talk with Mo Williams, because that's the Williams that was big in U.K. when we were all college age? What type of impact has he made in the short time there and what type of impact do you see him making now that he's been brought back as an assistant?
4: You know, I honestly haven't had a chance to interview him yet. I just sort of caught wind that he was back um, last, you know, late last week, and, and asked around early this week. But I haven't requested an interview with him because I've been trying to knock out a bunch of other stuff and needed other interviews to be done. Um, I, I think that I think it's sort of the same thing with Lamar Thomas. I think anytime you can get a guy around the players who's been there and done that and been successful at his craft and has done it, you know at a pretty high level and has found a way to win. I think any time you can have a guy like that around players that are young and impressionable and college-aged, that it can do nothing but help them, and it can do nothing but give them some confidence. I would imagine that um, Mo Williams is a little bit like, you know, sort of, I, I think being a student assistant is probably a lot more grueling than being a student athlete. So I, I, I'm sort of curious to talk to him maybe sometime early next week about the differences and sort of what that's like for him to, to sort of be the, the gopher and the lackey. Um, but, you know, it, it's funny because I was in the, the South Carolina student section um, when, he, when he had that huge game in the rain, just a yeah. driving rain that day. And uh, I went down with some other friends and we sat in the South Carolina student section. And I still remember that game so vividly, that the huge game that he had. And he still pretty much looks like he could do that now. I mean, he's, he's still pretty fit and trim and, and looks like he's ready to bust, you know, for 250 yards again. So it, it'll it be sort of interesting to see how he helps out those, those young players and sort of shows them that the Kentucky football history past hasn't always been, you know, air raid and it hasn't always been, you know,
1: negative. Exactly. The last thing before I let you go and appreciate all the time, Uh, you were at Fan Day and wrote about Kentucky honoring uh, the first four black players to break the color barrier, Nate Northington, Greg Page, Wilfred Hackett, and Houston Hawks. Uh, And you, you started the story out about how everybody went the opposite direction from them to get autographs but the wave came back towards them later was that whole thing like uh, being there covering that and and writing about it and seeing them be a part of the festivities too.
4: You know, it was really, it was really cool to see how tickled they got that people wanted to stand around and take pictures with them and talk to them and get their autographs. They said it was really different back in their day. Like no one wanted anyone's autograph, you know, that wasn't some high level major league baseball player that, that nobody wanted a college kid's autograph. So the idea that you know, so many years later, people are asking for their autograph and wanting to be to be you know close to part of history, I think it was it really tickled. I mean, both of them were so sincere and so happy to to just be a part of it, and I, it was it was interesting. It gave me chills. To I mean, I saw several people that that shook their hands and thanked them for everything that they went through and everything that they did, and you know, it just. It's so neat to see pioneers that are still sort of around and appreciated while they're still around. So I thought that was a super cool gesture on their part, and I'm really excited to see the statue outside the, the practice facility. I think that'll be sort of the the final shiny touch on on a really beautiful facility to sort of honor the history that that comes with it.
1: Absolutely, and I gotta last thing I gotta ask you: What was your thought, or what did you read into? Uh, Shannon Dawson's comments today. Uh, we Terry and I get to cover a few games here and there. We want to be like you when we grow up, you know, get to cover more and, and do more. And <laughs> no, write you do
2: <laughs>
1: But you, because we're around them more than us, practice settings, post-game settings, you know, press conference settings, what was your, your take on, you know, the shots fired, if you will, that they got everybody buzzing earlier this afternoon?
4: You know, I, I think we're all making a really big deal out of just sort of a flip statement on his part, and he was sort of known for those. He's very much a laid-back sort of, you know, Jimmy Buffett, let things then happen like they're supposed to happen. And, you know, I, I i think it's interesting that he's had a lot of successful quarterbacks, but, you know, the only ones that I could really go back through his history and find that weren't successful was Patrick Toll. So it sort of felt like a shot at Kentucky, but I could see how it wouldn't be. I mean, he was clearly really tight with Patrick Toll, to the point where Toll sort of came out in his defense when when Shannon got fired. And, you know, if we're honest, I think Shannon was a really nice guy, and he was fine to cover. He was always very accommodating to the press and tried to answer questions as best he could. But, But I'm not sure that, you know, he was ever on the same page as Mark Stoops. I'm not sure that he ever really had a chance to put his system in. And, you know, I, I just think it was one of those marriages that never should have happened. And I think that we, we're we all going to read a lot into every comment that everyone makes, you know, going into this game because it's so fresh and it's so raw and it's so, you know, so sort of right there on the surface still.
1: So it was a Vegas wedding is what you are saying. <laughs> <laughs> it,
4: it did feel like the Little Blue Chapel sort of wedding situation, yeah. I think right i mean if we're if we're being honest, I think that Stoops desperately wanted Eddie Grant from the very beginning and he finally got his guy this off season and I think it'll be sort of you know I say this a lot fascinating or interesting, but I think it'll be really interesting to see if Stoops goes hands off with the offense and really focuses on the things he's good at and leaves all of it up to Eddie Grant to see how this offense will look. I'm not sure Shannon Dawson ever got that benefit,
2: oh, wow. Well, good
1: stuff, and uh, happy belated anniversary. It's not on Facebook. I think it was 16 for y'all.
4: 16, yeah. We're old. You
1: got me by a year, 15 for us. but <laughs> so We're in the same zip code as you, but, yeah, we're all getting old. And uh, <laughs> But thanks for taking the time to take a breather and then turn right back around and talk UK football with us as you are Swimming in UK football, we really appreciate it, and I always love having you on the chat. with Sure, us.
4: thanks for having me. I'll talk to you guys soon. All
1: right, thanks, Thank you, you. Miss Smith from the Herald Leader TV. You put in work because I muted the phone and didn't <laughs> even know it. And I was, I was, I was jumping in to ask a question. I was like, well, no, well, has got it. I was like, well, okay, and I didn't even realize I. That put the thing on you but she was putting it in work anyway, so hey, it was all good.
3: Yeah, uh basically uh and everybody we've talked to about uh, Kentucky football, uh Jen, uh Freddie Maggard, Christy, uh even the two of us. It, it you know, when you say this team can go bowling, it it's not a crazy notion. It it really isn't a trick play against Vandy, a couple of plays against Auburn. I mean, it's, it's not totally out of the realm of, of possibility uh, to get to seven wins. Uh, I said that, well, you and I said that last year going through the schedule. This year going through the schedule, I don't think we had, you know, I don't think anybody's got us penciled in to beat all, uh, Alabama at Alabama. I don't think anyone's going that far, but I, I can certainly see some wins. Uh, on the table uh, As with every Kentucky season uh, it, You know can it, Is it going to be uh, Four and eight Or seven and five There's, there's going to be Really eight or nine plays That really make the difference uh, Kentucky football does not have That margin for error um, When you look at Like Alabama football Ohio State football Just sheer talent alone Is going to they're going to overcome some turnovers and some some bad defensive plays, uh, some boneheaded penalties that Kentucky cannot. You know, uh, we're used to seeing that in basketball. And I tell people, uh, when you look at Anthony Davis, and, and I'm using him as an example, the first time they played Kansas that season, it was pure just, I hate to say the word, instinct, but he was just playing. The, we won that first game against Kansas, who had the talent, who had the experience. We won that game just because those guys, are the Kentucky players, were just super talented. We beat Kansas in April uh, because they, had, they, they knew what they, were, what they had to do to win. It was a totally different mindset. The mistakes that you make at the beginning of the season, you can get away with when, when you have talent. Uh the roundabout way they have, the Kentucky football just does not have that air uh that margin for air that uh Kentucky basketball historically has had,
2: yeah, yeah, and the, the
1: schedule is harder, but I still like the way it was laid out we We don't have just that super brutal stretch, so we like. Like Jen said, the first game against the Southern Miss is is huge from a morale standpoint, from a keeping it all together standpoint, from a if we lose it, then the doubt already starts to creep in standpoint. Uh, And if they win that, then, you know, it kind of galvanizes them for things to come and gives them some confidence for, for the rest of the way. Helps them face future adversities whatever they may be that that they're gonna
3: encounter. Exactly, exactly. So that first game, I, I've said it, I'll continue to say it. Uh it's gonna it's gonna tell us a lot and um I, I hope that the, the team is up to the challenge.
1: Absolutely. And can't wait for it to
3: get rolling.
1: Man one thing, you know, we always talk about stuff we don't get to from show to show, and you know, sometimes we carry it over and talk about it. Sometimes just one of those ass didn't get to it, hadn't talked about it at all. And you know, he, it's already kind of gotten more quiet than I thought it would have been. But this whole Tim Tebow playing baseball—what did you think when you heard that? You already had a workout with the Dodgers, got some more workouts coming. Already got a minor league off. Your thoughts when you heard that he was going to pick up a bat, glove when he hadn't done it since high school? Uh,
3: I, I mean, good good for him. I'm not going to be on the, the side of, of bashing Tim Tebow. He's got himself in a position where he can pursue his dreams. That's what we say we're about in America. Number one, no team is going to put him on the field, no major league team is going to put him on the field just to sell tickets. Uh, single A, possibly, you know, okay, but oh, definitely, uh, uh, but I don't think that you'll see that from a major league team. Nobody's going to do that, but if sports is a great meritocracy, if you can, they're going to put you out there. I mean, that's, that's, that's the name of the game. We see all kinds of abrasive personalities that last long in leagues and, and in sports, uh, until the the physical skills have diminished, if he's got the tools, they'll keep him around. Obvious that he doesn't quite have the um, what what folks would say are your NFL quarterback characteristics, and there's no shame in that. He's still one of the best college football players I've ever seen. Uh, you can't take that away from him. So if he wants to pursue whatever, I'm okay with that. I it's not going to hurt me one way or the other. If he wants to do it, fine. If he decides he wants to try out for the New York City Ballet, that's fine. Um, You know, it's okay.
1: Yeah, and I don't know. And I guess, I mean, he is trying to do for him. And I guess I'm glad that he has let the NFL go because – you know, I mean, he won a playoff game, but it, it still just wasn't going to work as good as it did at Florida. Uh, the games that he did win at Denver, it was 10 to 7, 13 to 10 games. He wasn't moving the team up, down the spells for a lot of points. So, uh, you know, if if he does love baseball, great. Um, he doesn't, in my opinion, get a shot at baseball if he isn't who he is, the popular as he is, and did so well in college. So that's kind of where I'm at. I mean, and, you, know, you know, Michael Jordan wouldn't have got the shot to Berens if he hadn't been who he was either. Same thing. Uh, and a lot of rust. I don't know, if, you know, can you hit a curveball? Same thing. That's always going to be an age-old question. So we'll see what the workouts do. But at least have to throw it out there. And me and you kicking around for a minute Because we hadn't done it uh, Last week When it first came out um, But like you said Good for him because He did put himself in that position A guy who was in a bad position Due to health unfortunately Is Prince Fielder Who was having to retire
2: Way too soon Because of neck issues
1: uh, And I just hated to hear that, hated to see that. Uh, in Milwaukee for a little bit, uh, and with Texas now. Texas had a good team,
2: um,
1: and to see him have his career cut short due to injuries, he thought the first won't be the last, but it was just a shame. Uh, been just kind of a, a You know, as a kid, you know, hitting home runs out of Tiger Stadium when he was hanging out with his dad, Cecil, there. You know, a little bit of a larger-than-life flair to him when it comes to hitting the baseball. Uh, And now it's see his career cut short. I hated to see that and and having to have to to hang it up at like age thirty-two.
3: Yeah, definitely. uh, I hate to hear that, but. um... Uh, anytime somebody's career is cut short by injury uh, or, or long-term thing you hate, it, it gets tossed around a lot, but you like to see guys go out on their own terms. And when you have that kind of debilitating injury, that's not exactly the way, you know, folks really want to, to go out. So um, definitely hate to hear that. I thought that he was uh Fantastic when he was at his peak But injuries will They'll do that They'll they will kind of take away those things Yeah um, And
1: one other thing too The the Marie Smith deal Didn't look like he'd be able to go to Georgia Remember he was kind of getting blocked you know, Wasn't able to get a release from Alabama Talked about it at the end of last week But now he's got his release And he was able to go to Georgia I think he was about to get up on the soapbox but it was like seventy-eight, so you did step on up there. But you—you uh, you had some thoughts on it. Well,
3: the—the it, the way we can debate whether or not paying players is—is—is is, is the way to go, or or what have you. Bottom line is, players should be able to go where they want to go. If a coach is able to leave and go without any strings attached. I think a player should. Uh, and this is not to say that Alabama and the SEC, any different, a lot of places put limitations on where uh, players can go once they transfer. And I'm not a fan of that. Um, I mean, it, it's, you hate to say it, it, it's America. They should have the opportunity to um, to go where you want to go. Uh, some people have railed against, you know, the the fifth year senior, the guys that have graduated and kind of being quote unquote hired gun. Uh, so so what? I mean, that, I, I don't understand how uh, letting a, a kid go to a, a different school how that is uh, a negative. But yet we always see that when people transfer, it's always um, there's always these rules and limitations and. And everything. Yeah. And no
1: matter what the rules are, and I mean like you said there's rules. you know, not the kids not able to do this, not able to do that. Alabama still still looked bad on Slavin Alabama. You know, the rich richer, they're the champs, they get five stars left and right. And it looked petty on Alabama, even if they were in the right. It, you know, it's still just it's a bad look. Um, is this kid going to be the difference in them winning a title or not? I mean, they got other five-star corners over there. You know, the, the depths that Alabama has is where everybody else wants to be. You know, <laughs> Mark Stoops wishes he had the depth Alabama does. And we got depth in spots like Jim talked about, you know, running back, tight end. And we're we're happy to see it build a little bit and it
4: you know, because for the longest,
1: you know, when with the Whittier leads you're like, Oh man, I wish he had been around to play with Travace and maybe willing you just get one good guy at a time is what we had in Kentucky. Alabama stockpiles good guy after good guy after good guy. But to me it just looked bad even though they were right. And I wish that, you know, that rule wasn't there because like you said, coaches all the time. They don't have to sit out of here they can get another job offer. They can go pro, they can go to a different school. Same went from L S U to Alabama. I know he went to the Dolphins first, but you know, if he'd have wanted to go from Alabama to LSU, he could have. You know, if he felt like it, there's no nothing stopping him. So I wish it was the same for for the players. you know, he's legitimately wanting to go you know, even though you know Kirby Smart coached Saban, you know he 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 wanted to be there for Georgia. I mean, a lot of the old eighty-five bears like Buddy Ryan better not like Dixon. You. you know, he might be a Kirby Smart guy, not care for Saban. It is what it is. He doesn't want to be there. You know, I like I like what you said. It shouldn't be something that you know screwing the kids all the time.
3: Yeah, and that's what ends up happening. So uh, I'm glad that. Cooler heads prevailed, and, and folks, uh, and, and the right thing ended up happening. It's just a bad look, uh, particularly for Saban and, and, and Alabama. So, definitely glad that that got uh, squared away. Yeah, absolutely,
1: man. If we flip to the NBA real quick, I know it's not even there yet. Go wait to see if the U.S. Olympic team can win a gold medal or even win a game by, you know, ten, fifteen 15 points. But the schedule came out, and opening night, Rockets-Lakers. was like they, they know we don't agree on anything, so they let my team play your team to start the season, and as everybody knows, Houston's going to be 1-0 and after the first game of the 2016-17 NBA season.
3: Uh, okay. Um, I I guess I I don't I don't know this to be accurate if you've got a crystal ball there, but uh, for some reason the Lakers and the Rockets we always seem to meet either the first or second game. This is not unusual for us to meet really early on in the season. Um, I don't know what it is. I, I guess the NBA schedule people say oh the Rockets, with their two titles, they match up well favorably against the Lakers in their uh, 16 titles, 17 titles. So that that makes sense, I guess. So uh, you're looking, uh, you know, hey, you know, the Rockets have been to, you know, three or four finals, and Lakers have represented the Western Conference in half all NBA finals. I guess that's a matchup people want to see. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, you know, hey, uh, it's good for everybody. Good for good for the Rockets. And
1: you know, they'll be in LA.
2: The
3: season will
1: start at Staples. I'm not a fan of Mike D'Antoni. Not a fan of the hire, as we know. But. Luke Walton will have to wait to Game Two to get his first win. That's all I was saying. I'm not arguing all that stats, all that trophy, all that final appearance stuff. Uh, eight six was nice when you know Ralph Sampson hit that one to send y'all
3: home that
1: year. Um, but you know, I
3: remember that. I remember that Ralph Sampson thing because it it really <laughs> with Sampson hitting that shot. You can if you look at it like a sandwich. Samson hit the shot in 86, but 85, you know, world title and 87, 88 world title. It's a nice <laughs> little sandwich when you look at it like that. So I definitely love to think back to that. Remember that time, Ralph Samson, that could have been four championships in a row. But, you know, hey, you know, it is what it is. I like to see that, uh, the Lakers and the, uh, and, and the Rockets. Uh, being a Lakers fan, I'm not nearly – the schedule to me really isn't – as big a deal as, you know, the NFL schedule, even, you know, college schedule, so many games. And uh, even is you know, this is is the downside to being a Lakers fan. Even when your team's not very good, like the Lakers haven't been lately, they're still on TV way too much. So I'm still – no matter who it is, you know, no matter who they're trotting out there, I'm still going to see it. Because for folks that follow us on Twitter, we'll see you will – tweet at me when Lakers are on, and I'll, you know, I have the game on. I'm like, I have no idea who these people are. You know, <laughs> it's just, you know, I like, I, I don't know these guys. But uh, hopefully, you know, the team will be moving in the right direction. I'll I see today where we sign Yi jing Long. I'm just, saying that yeah. wrong. I was thinking, and, saying, I was thinking uh, about it. <laughs> and,
1: and,
3: and his whole highlight is that draft day video of him posting up a chair and, and getting drafted. So I don't know what's going on in LA, but this is not your 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 grandfathers, your fathers, or even your LA Lakers. Uh, yeah. Hopefully, they're moving in the right direction, though. But we will see.
1: At least that's what I was saying. At least you have kind of, sort of know who he is, uh, just because he was a, a already a semi blast from the past. He got drafted like '09. And he signed a one-year, $8 million deal with the Lakers. I forget who's, who tweeted out that <laughs> said that Yi Jingling and Jing Lan is has gotten paid and J.R. Smith is gotten paid. I think it was Frank Osola who's going, like, uh, around the horn and stuff, the dude from New York. And <laughs> he's like, I messed up with that. J.R. can't get paid coming off of a title, and he comes in and gets one-year, $8 million when nobody even knew where he was, like, until USA played him in the
3: Olympics. <laughs> nah, he was in China somewhere, but uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Okay. <you laughs> know, the NBA, the NBA season is, uh, is, is coming, but I'd like to share uh, this past weekend, uh, we talked about all the fall sports coming up, and um, – I was able to take uh, my girls, Big Miss and Little Miss. We went to Lexington for uh, both the U.K. men's and women's soccer team. It was their fan day, the first fan day uh, kind of celebration there at the the Bell Complex on campus, and it was fantastic. Uh, The team signed posters. We took pictures. Uh, There might have been a couple hundred people there, which – was a very, very big crowd. Uh, Again, probably not, you know, people not camping out like Midnight Madness, but there was a very big crowd there for those activities, and we had an absolute uh, blast. Uh, Tweeted out a bunch of pictures. Uh, I'll send some out from the show account uh, as well, but uh, we had an absolute blast there in Lexington uh, with Coach John, specifically in the women's team. They had a scrimmage uh, against – Pittsburgh, University of Pittsburgh, which is officially Pitt. I don't know if you remember a few years ago they were going away from being Pitt and they wanted to be Pittsburgh. Well, now it's Pitt again. Uh, and they uh, won the exhibition 2-0. Uh, the men and women get started uh, this upcoming weekend, starting their season, as, as Coach John looks to get the women back to the NCAA tournament uh, after missing last year. So uh, very, very exciting stuff. I put
1: that one tweet it was like the link from the tweet of you and the girls. Um, like the phone is that all three of y'all looking down at the phone. Little Miss in the middle, uh, you on the right, big miss on the left, got her property at Kentucky shirt on. I put that one up on our page, Cat Talk Wednesday. Uh, I haven't put any more up but definitely of course so, what we, we always put our pictures up when we go to games, when we cover games. But uh, if you haven't liked the page, feel free to like the page, Facebook.com slash Cat Got over 300 people liking our little page now. So it just keeps on that, and that, climbing on up there.
3: And that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, we went up there for the soccer stuff, but we got to walk around campus, and it was move-in day. And I was talking to the girls about when I moved in and little miss looks at me, she said, well, that was a couple of decades ago. And I was getting oh. ready to jump on her. And then I realized she is fantastically right. This is the <laughs> fall uh, of 2016. And I was a freshman the fall of 1995. So it has been two decades. decades so I couldn't even get mad because she was speaking <laughs> the truth. Uh, but walking around and, uh, seeing campus and how much campus has changed in those two decades is, is, is fantastic. And we actually drove by and walked around Commonwealth Stadium and the practice facility and saw some of the players, football players, that had finished up practice. And uh, really, it was a good day uh, just hanging around uh, Lexington and, and indoctrinating my children with the uh, with the big with the big blue nation. Yeah,
1: yeah, it looked like y'all were having <laughs> a ball on those pictures for sure. Um, and you said it was the fan day for the men and the women. Maybe I should know, but why are the men in Conference USA? Is, is like the SEC not have soccer or
3: is the, 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 the SEC does is, is is not does not have men's soccer. Okay. Uh, And uh, that being said, the um, not all, I don't think all SEC schools have a women's soccer program. I don't Hmm. think I'd have to check, but I don't think that that is the case. Um, But that's the reason the the men are in conference USA, the women of course are in the SEC and They started out strong last year, kind of faded down the stretch, because like everything else, the SEC is extremely deep. Uh, But just the year before, in 2014, uh, won the SEC regular season championship, came in second uh, in the SEC tournament, and made it to the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament. And, and, you know, we talk about the recruiting job Stoops is doing, the recruiting job obviously – you don't even need to really mention what Coach Cal is doing, uh, but it's also carrying over to other sports as well. Um, Coach John is bringing some talent from all across the country in, uh, into, into Lexington. Got uh, four uh, young ladies on uh, SEC Player of the Year watch list, so it's not just Football and men's basketball, you know, I I tell people, because I've had some people say, what what are you doing looking at women's soccer, of all things? Uh, Hey, I'm all cats, everything. And I think that's the way you should be. Uh, It's still my goal to see all these different um, uh, sports play. I want to be able to, to do that. That's my goal this year. And particularly, I'd like to take my girls to see the women's teams play. Uh, because I think it's important for them to see, hey, you know, girls can play soccer, and as Little Miss pointed out to me, they get pretty rough out there. I said, yes, they do. <laughs> I mean, yes they, yes, they certainly do get rough out there. Um, so just had a blast. It is great to, to get out there, and and it, it is Big Blue Nation. And, and when you get a couple of hundred people to the first uh, fan day uh, for for a soccer team, which is just to me mind boggling. Uh, it was fun. It was it was great. Uh, I like going to those games. You know, not everybody has the opportunity to go to Rupp Arena. Not everybody has the opportunity to go to Commonwealth Stadium, but you can go to the Bell Complex and watch the soccer team play. You know, you can go watch the baseball team play. You can go watch Coach Lawson the softball team play. Those are things that you can go to, and as we've said before, those players, those student athletes are sacrificing just as much as, as the, the, the guys under Coach Cal's tutelage. They're working just as hard as Stoops Troops, uh, and my thing is if they're wearing blue and white, I'm going to root for them no matter what. So that's my soapbox of the day. Uh, people will see me. I will be out and about. Uh, we definitely have to go to the Louisville, Kentucky women's soccer game. Uh, Coach John and the ladies are going for six wins in a row over Louisville. Six wins in a row over—I mean, he has reached Coach Cal status with yeah. his record against Louisville. And and we've been uh, taking my girls to the last four. We'll go to this. One. We'll make five. And this is what happens: Cats win. My girls take a picture with Coach John. That is our <laughs> – that is what happened. So we're excited about that. Uh going to, like I said, check out volleyball. Check out all kinds of things. Um, you know, all cats, everything. Yeah, absolutely.
2: You
3: know, that's just
1: fun goes to have. When is the first soccer game? Like,
2: oh, oh.
3: Uh, I know the the men. Uh, no, the women are at Long Beach State on Saturday. Let me double check that. I believe I've got a I've got a schedule here because I did not get a signed poster, but uh, the girls did. Uh, <laughs> let me check. Let's see.
1: Yeah, I was just up on Twitter because that- that way, to keep up with it, I would kind of keep up yeah. with Fr- we
3: Friday night at 10 p.m., they're at Long Beach State. So they're already okay. out there uh, tweeting pictures from the beach and everything like that. Uh, there are a lot of promotion games uh, for men's and women's soccer. The women's team will actually be on TV a couple of times this year prior to the uh, tournament. Uh, on the SEC network. So, um, again, go to the Bell. It's fantastic. Uh, I think when you look at the soccer complex and softball stadium, it is a – look, the new football facility, beautiful. Conwell Stadium renovation is beautiful. But what I don't think uh, Mitch Barnhart gets enough credit for is what he's done for the quote-unquote minor sports, if you will, those facilities are gorgeous. Uh, just being out there on Saturday, the game started at seven and the sun is starting to set and uh, the Bell Stadium is beautiful to watch, whether you're in the bleachers, whether you're on uh, the end zones, whether you're on the kind of the grassy area on the far side of the field, it is, uh, it is a beautiful, beautiful facility and uh, all the kind of views you get at Commonwealth Stadium, you get that there and uh, as my girls point out, you've got the huge U.K. water tower right there from the Arboretum right there. It's, it's fantastic. Uh, and Little Miss is always fascinated. Every time we go, she said, there's just U.K. everywhere. And I said, well, yes, you're in Lexington on campus. It's going to have U.K. everywhere. Because so, yeah. <laughs> they, they love the blue and white Arby's and the blue and white McDonald's right there on campus and the blue and white Fazolas. They think that is the yeah. best thing going,
4: and I said, "Yeah,
3: you know." I said, "This is this is Lexington. Santa is is blue. Rudolph's nose is blue. That's kind of what happened uh, <laughs> when you when you're in Lexington, right there." So they love it. We had a good time. Uh, I'm sure we'll take in some other games. Uh, hopefully, maybe maybe probably next year, I'll take them to a football game. I just don't know their attention span football's kind of kind of kind of long so i don't know about that but uh, as many things as we can get into we're definitely going to uh do and we even went to the gymnastics meet last year excite night we did that that was fantastic i yeah, have no idea come going on. Yeah, gymnastics <laughs> and then little miss is asking me what does that mean i have no idea i said sweetie we just cheer when kentucky cheers so we decided to do that but uh like I said, there, there, there are crowds there for these, these other sports that are still all cats everything. They're wild cats. They're competing. And don't tell anybody, but shh, they're pretty, they're pretty good for, for Kentucky being yeah. kind of a, a one-trick pony school, if you will, still finishing in the Director's Cup ahead of Louisville this past year. So, and even with yeah. the teams having some disappointing seasons. So this, this, this notion, Kentucky being just men's basketball, It's not even factual anymore. Uh, They finished 33rd, which is the first time out of the top five in the last four or five years. So that's that's ranking overall uh, athletic performance. And um, my thing is when you look at the numbers, not just what you want to look at, uh, when you look at objective numbers, the athletic program at Kentucky is doing very, very well. Every coach, every administrator we've had come and, and on the show and talk about it uh, has discussed how the focus is all of the sports being the best they can, all of the sports uh, representing the university. And that's not usually a relationship. you see at a lot of places, but you see that in Lexington. It really is all catch everything. Um, so now that I'm off my soapbox, I just want to you know tell folks, go support. All those other cats uh, in, in all those other sports.
1: Definitely. Definitely a lot of fun. And uh, I go when Kentucky's in town down here, got to get up for some more home games uh, in the various different sports uh, as well. So I got to try to get that done. You mentioned Excite Night in gymnastics. You got to talk about these Olympics, uh, they conclude this weekend. Um, might as well start it off With gymnastics and then work Our the way around to whatever other sports We want to include um, Simone Biles The final five Allie Raven All of them, Laurie Hernandez uh, Gabby Madison The entire group I mean just And the last time it's going to be five Next time going forward In 2020 in Tokyo it's going to be four but the show they put on just incredible. For and we we're captivated every four years. A lot of niche sports, a lot of sports that some you don't watch in between time until the Olympics roll around. <clears throat> don't watch a lot of swimming. Don't even watch track and field like I used to. Uh, when I, as a kid, I watched it more than I do now. And of course, it's still more popular in, in Europe. Uh, I don't watch world championships and gymnastics and things like that in the non-Olympic years. But, you know, the first couple of days watching gymnastics, and they say Simone Biles is, you know, the greatest gymnast ever, greatest gymnast of all time. I'm like, what? Because, and I'm like, well, like, and nobody's arguing about it, nobody's even debating it. Because you know me, we talk basketball, we talk NBA, I always try to, you know, don't forget the old guy. Don't forget the Jerry West. Don't you know, play the lake. Don't forget Joe Goodrich, Oscar Robinson. Give love to those guys. I hate seen them get forget- forgotten, overshadowed. Simone Biles. They're just saying, matter of fact, best gymnasts to ever live. I'm like, what? Madam Ritten, Nadia Comaneci. You know, the, the lady that got the first ten. I'm like, really? They're not even. And so, you know, I'm I'm like, well, let me kind of get up to speed and they said that she hadn't lost anything in, like, four years. I'm like, well, that would kind of qualify her to have that title. So I had to get up to speed on her, and then I was able to see, well, no wonder they're giving her all these props as the best ever because, I mean, pretty much she goes out and dominates. You know, her margin of victory uh, was... By more than it been in like the previous Four or five Olympics But yeah she's incredible
3: And I was in the dark Not everybody else Yeah uh, Watching the Olympics and, and I I enjoy it I've watched a lot uh, with the girls we watched soccer We've watched Field hockey. We watched the women's eight-member row team win gold. Saturday morning. Uh, We watched uh, volleyball, handball. Uh, Little Miss wants to get involved in rugby. She says that seems fun. So I, you know, whatever. Um, But uh, uh, watching the uh, Olympians. And anytime you can watch the best of the best do their best, that's a treat. When you watch Michael Phelps, even at his quote-unquote old age, still go out and, and dominate and, and, and win and win and win, that's fascinating. Katie Ledecky, winning, breaking her own world record and winning by almost 11 seconds, which is an eternity. An eternity yeah. in... In, in swimming, that's fascinating. The thing you have to keep in mind is the people she's going against are the the best in the world at this, and she has and it looks like she's going the wrong way because she's so far ahead of them. That is bizarre. And and Phelps staring down his competitor, and and, and Usain Bolt looking behind him as he's running. <laughs> I've watched track off and on for a while. You you say you know you watch track. It do, it it doesn't to me with you Bolt. It never looks like he's working that hard. It doesn't look like he's running and, and 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 just you know he doesn't have the grimace and he's not you know with his with his hands clenched and with relative ease he's he's beating these world class athletes. With, with e, And when you see these guys, uh, it's like uh, when you see a basketball player go in the zone, you know, where it's just one of those things where you, you can't miss. You're, you're, you're seeing everything. But it, it's like that, and these guys are going against kind of one-on-one or one, you know, in a, the, the best in the world at it. That is just mind-boggling how good these athletes really, really are. Uh, I, I enjoy it. I don't think we'll ever see kind of a, a mixture of Usain Bolt, Katie Ledecky, and, and Michael Phelps, the way they have done over these past two Olympics. I don't, see, I don't think we'll ever see that again. We'll see these people who are the absolute best of the best Competing at the same time with their sport I, I don't think we'll see that Yeah And you can throw
1: Kerry Walsh in there too Even though they got knocked off uh, And it was a shock They were the lower seed It was still a shock That was the first match she ever lost In the Olympics And, and you got to to Two ladies from Brazil Because they won a straight set Still kept waiting for that comeback like, yeah, Brazil's taking it to them. Oh, Brazil won the first set, okay. <laughs> you know, Brazil took it to them in the second set. You still kept kind of waiting for a rally, and you kept waiting for it until, you know, Brazil got 21 points again in the second set. Um, but she's right up there, too, because she had that sustained run of excellence with two different partners, two different teammates. Because Missy May uh, wasn't with us She had April... Um, Paper Ross playing with her this time. So she spanned two different teammates and still was undefeated, and to what they would do was she did. Of playing for bronze now. But she's right there in that upper level with Usain, Michael Phelps, uh, Katie Ozdecki, uh, Simone Biles. Uh, she's right there as well. But, you know, like you said, they these, these athletes are making the best in the world just look average. Everybody's retweeted that photo of Hussein Bolt um, looking back at the rest of the pack. And, you know, these guys are no joke. Justin Gallon, you know, controversy and all, been there for a few years. Justin Gallon is no joke. And Bolt actually makes you think, <laughs> you know, he's not working hard. Being six five, you know, he had to, once he gets his legs working, it's over. You know, they say he he, he covers hundred and forty one steps, everybody else takes forty four steps. And the last 40, 50 meters, you know, he hit that other gear and it's like, you know, why do you even think he's gonna get upset? He's like, Well let me let me go ahead and take care of these guys and you know, because it was just a a split second of suspense. I'm like, uh-oh, and then there he went, and then there's the iconic photo of him looking back. Same thing in the 200. He he kind of smoked everybody from the jump, then and then looks back. But it doesn't matter. He he ends up looking back. It's the scenarios always the same. Looking to the right, nobody. Looking
3: to the left, nobody. Well. And the one thing that I'd have to kind of complain about is uh, the coverage that NBC has provided with the, a lot of the delays, not showing things live, that mm-hmm. they're, they're almost pre-packaged. My thing is when it comes to sports, for the most part, uh, even when the great ones shatter records, The narrative is already there. There's really not a reason to ratchet it up uh, because people are going to watch Phelps go for gold. We're going to watch Usain Bolt. We're going to watch these things. And it's like NBC is trying to pull as much drama and emotion out. And it's really, in my mind, it's falling flat. Uh, I don't think we're seeing enough of the other sports that are available uh, I w- that I would like to see some other, uh, we want to say lesser sports, get a little bit uh, of that, that primetime gold. Um, you know, talking to some people in, in my all time favorite uh, Olympic memory, um, watching um, back in 1992, not the Dream Team. But it was the uh, runner for Great Britain, Derek Redmond. Uh, I believe it was the 400 meters. And he makes the first turn, and his hamstring pops. I don't know if you remember this. And the race goes on, and I can't even tell you who won. So he's determined to finish, and it's obvious he's in pain, and his, his, his leg is dead. So his dad comes down out of the steps, Stiff arms, one of the security people, and and walks him around the track. And I remember vividly watching that with my dad, and and and, and Derek Webb and his father kind of carries him close, and then lets him go the last you know couple of steps, cross the finish line on his own. That to me is also part of the Olympics. Yes, you've got the best of the best blowing these records, but you've got people that just the competition, the, the the drive to that it takes to be even an Olympic athlete, and I think that kind of gets lost in the mix when we look at some of the greatness. It takes a lot of steps. You have to do a lot just to even reach the Olympics. Just to make the Olympic team to qualify is a huge achievement for a lot of folks. And, and seeing things like that really um, – It it really humanizes the games, and I wish we saw, you know, not people getting injured, but a little bit more of, okay, you're not Michael Phelps, but there's other people out there. Let's let's see what else is out there. Um, That would be my one critique of the NBC coverage. Yeah, and
1: it seemed like it did happen with some some of the lesser sports, and a lot of the gymnastics not lesser when it comes to Olympics. And it was still, you know, a lot of take the late stuff as well. And speaking of, looks like Team USA already played. Basketball team was on right now. They come on at six? Yeah, you know, I, I believe they have. Done.
3: They were they were winning last I saw.
1: They tweeted out the U.S. Olympic team 105.78. So, coming up on the stream, NBC Stream, they're going to be streaming that at 9.15. So, that'll be a replay. So, they got a, a comfortable margin of victory. I'm not sure how the game played out or if it was close for any length of time, but uh, a lot more cushion in this score than we've seen the past couple of games.
3: Yeah, in, in this team, we talked about kind of flawed uh, a little bit, uh, I think. Um, but as soon as they had back-to-back close games, like clockwork, I saw some articles, uh, you know, the air of invincibility is gone. And No, 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 no. The air of invincibility goes away when the team loses. That's when it goes away. I don't care how many close games there are, you've you, you got to beat them. And if the Americans and Coach K, and I hate to say it, you know, his staff kind of figuring things out, uh, the Americans are still going to win the gold. Uh, So I don't think the air of invincibility is is gone. I don't think
2: it's,
3: you know, what people want you to believe about it. But, uh, yeah, a comfortable win, I'll definitely take that. Over against a very good Argentina team. So
1: got the little last four tweets pulled up, uh USA basketball. At the end of the first quarter, uh USA was up 25-21. It said they closed
2: on a sixteen to two run. So that
1: meant they were trailing nineteen to nine in the first quarter. So they they overcame a ten point deficit. Kevin Durant has thirteen In the first quarter, so wow, they they had a double digit deficit. Yes, my math is right. Yes, down 19-9 in the one that up 25-21 at halftime, uh, it's 56-40. So they bumped it on up to 16. In the third quarter, okay, 87-61, and then it's basically both teams played even in the fourth, 105-78 win. But to get down 19-9 to coming off of those two close games, I didn't see it. But you you got to wonder what the mindset was at that time before they went on that 16-2 run. Uh, you
3: know, maybe this is the, uh, the you know, the, the, maybe the Americans do need a wake-up call. I mean, we we've seen it with just about every team since the Dream Team. That you know takes maybe a, uh, one of those close games or uh, one of the teams coming out too uh, too cocky uh, to to really uh, take the Americans. So we'll see if they can springboard this and, and and get going in in the right direction. Absolutely, I'm gonna step on my
1: soapbox real quick. To the last minute and a half we talked about Tom Jackson last your memories of him, my memories of him, how we both grew up watching NFL primetime. He went to Louisville. We know that. And, you know, big deal. We love the show. We just love how him and Berman work together. And, you know, any great player, especially great defensive player, you know, that was before our time, you know, you kind of get the – got a report of them from your dad. You hear your dad talk about them. Um, Tom Jackson was one of those guys. And my dad, all he would say about Tom Jackson, Tom Jackson would knock your head off. He said that about Tom Jackson. said that about Willie Lanier, middle linebacker for the Chiefs, Hall of Famer, great player. And he took Tom Jackson in that same class. I don't know if you remember that commercial. It was the late, great Art Donovan played for the Baltimore Colts. And I think Chris Berman and Tom Jackson, and it was back when Junior say I was in his, at his peak. And Art Donovan was watching film on him and said, look,
2: yeah, he's all right, but he misses
1: all the tackles. He flies around, he misses all the tackles. And he looked at Tom and he said, you, sir, or a great linebacker Or something like that not, Tom didn't miss tackle Tom was a great linebacker Tom's like Humphrey saying thank you I don't know if you remember That commercial or not But It's just one of those things I forgot to mention last week Talking about Tom and
3: yeah, college Or not college But NFL coverage is, is going to be sorely missing This year I would have loved To have seen a You know Kind of a send off But uh, You know Well We'll always have those great memories of him and Berman uh, in NFL primetime, one of those shows that often uh, imitated but never duplicated. And he he
1: retired in 86 with the Broncos, went right into television. And, you know, as a Cowboys fan, I've seen the footage of losing all those games to the Steelers, those Super Bowls to win swan and those guys. And we see how many of those steel curtain stealers are in the Hall of Fame. If Dallas wins one of those games or both of those games, a lot more Cowboys probably end up in the Hall of Fame. Tom Jackson lost two Super Bowls in Denver. He lost one to Dallas in Dorset, like in 77 or something like that. He lost his last game. He played was in the Super Bowl with Denver uh, with Elway. And I don't know if they lost to the Redskins or forty. Might have lost to your Forty ers or something like that. I don't. I'm not sure.
0: If Denver uh, gets
1: one of those, if Different wins one of those, you know, Tom might be a Hall of Famer. If, if you know, it. You hate to just base it on one game being a Super Bowl, but you know, maybe Tom is a Hall of Famer. But of course, he goes in right to TV and then just breakfast every Sunday night. For thirty years, and we grew up watching it, so I just had to kind of finish tributing
3: him from last week. Oh, definitely, definitely, he he deserves it. Um, uh, Not only a great football player, but uh, and and the thing is, I really liked about him, even as a commentator, is even though you know when ESPN went away from him and Berman. He he still found his niche even when they had eighty people on the set. He was always still Tom, and you knew yeah. when he spoke when he spoke where he was coming from. So uh, definitely, uh, I don't mind playing paying another tribute to uh, to Tom Jackson.
1: And we might have like like we said we didn't even care that he went to Louisville. We might have maybe snarled a little bit had Louisville been playing UK when Tom was there but still we would have had to give him respect for what he did I mean they didn't he didn't get to play against Kentucky and all that while he was there but uh, even though he is a Louisville guy and it's an state rival you can't knock what he did he can't act like the great career that he had on TV didn't happen
3: exactly Exactly. Uh, so, definitely tip tip your hat to him and and a great uh, a great career.
1: Absolutely,
3: and we had uh, another great show. or At
1: least you did, anyway, because you did you, your phone for twenty minutes. Well, I did. I did. I did. Sure. Uh, <laughs> treat date <laughs> you and everything that you do. Appreciate Jim Smith for hopping over with us. and a lot of fun talking UK football and Olympics, celebrity softball game and all kind of fun stuff as we get closer and closer to the start
2: of the season.
1: Oh, man. Another fun one. Looking forward to another one next week. Everybody check the TV app, dot com. Hope of us writing and tweeting and doing radio and having fun. Oh, man. Another fun stuff everybody.
3: Yep, have a great night Hi, right, you too
1: And we'll wrap it up with that
3: See y'all next week For my man Terry TV
1: 3.0 Brown
2: This is Vinny Hardy
1: You can listen to Cat Talk Wednesday On the Brown and Hardy Radio Network Blogtalkradio.com Catch all y'all Had a lot of fun
0: say.